Hello to all my friends out in the world of Facebook and online Bible study. I am so proud to be with you. Appreciate you joining me. Today is a bittersweet day, always bittersweet for me when I am closing up a study. And today we close up our study on the book of Colossians. It's always exciting to me to start a new study. Uh, but as I go along, I really, uh, really get into the study, and I know you do as well. And I appreciate everyone's participation in these Facebook Bible studies. Our study of the Gospel of Mark, Mark the Action Gospel, will continue on Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m. Central Daylight Time right here on Bill's Facebook page. And um, But after today, we are done with our Colossians study. And rather than start up another study right away, we'll take a break for a few weeks. And the first uh, uh, Tuesday in June, which I think might even be June the 1st, uh, we will be uh, beginning a new study. And so I'm looking forward uh, to being able uh, to share that with you. Uh, that study is going to focus on the uh, passage from Ephesians 6 that talks about the armor of God in Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20. I know that'll be a profitable study for us. I'll look forward to us going through the summer, taking a look at those different parts of the armor of God that we need to take on uh, this spiritual battle that we have in this world. Uh, today brings us again to the end of our Colossian study. If you've missed some of these, you're welcome to go back and get them and to check them out. Uh, they're on my Facebook page. If you want to just scroll through a, a bunch of uh, Facebook stuff, you can do that. Or if you'd rather do that a little bit quicker, uh, you're welcome to go to our website, westerwin.com, W-E-S-T-E-R-W-I-N.com. Uh, uh, scroll over the social media and resources tab and then click on that link that says live streaming page. And that'll take you to our big blue box where our live studies are on uh, worship services on Sunday morning. And also my uh, Mark studies uh, have been there uh, at 6 p.m. They are shown right there on Sundays. Uh, but uh, if you'll go down a little bit below that big blue box, there's a uh, link to video archives. And on video archives, you can click on that link and you can go back and you can see Bill's lessons from way back when and uh, be able to share, uh, see the most recent worship services, also my Sunday morning sermons. Uh, if you want to just listen to the sermon, just watch the sermon. But also these uh, Bible studies on uh, on my Facebook page, they go to that uh, video archive page pretty quickly after they've been done and you'll see them a little bit later in the day on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Sundays. But if you missed a few, you can go back and you can find uh, those studies. I think they're referenced in some other places uh, where you can call them up by series, but uh, you can certainly call them up by date just by scrolling down and find the ones that you may have missed or that you'd like to listen to Again, I appreciate everyone's participation. I've had so many that have been here week after week, day after day, and I thank you for that. Uh, I'm sorry that we're going to take a break, uh, but I think that's probably a good thing for us right now. And I appreciate everyone being willing and expecting to join back in uh, uh, come June. And again, if you'd like to participate with our Mark study, we'll still be doing those right here at the same place. Uh, they're shown on my Facebook page on Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m. And then they uh, go to our uh, our West Irwin uh, page on westirwin.com 
uh, our live stream page. They go there and they're shown there in that big blue box on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. And of course, you can find access them on my Facebook page on our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook page. Sorry to give you so much information here at the beginning, but uh, hopefully that will help you as you try to uh, continue to be involved in Bible study. And I'm certainly more than willing to uh, hear you, hear from you via email or text message or call or whatever, and we can chit-chat a little bit about some of these studies or some other things that you might have a question about and interact some there as well. Uh, good to see Pat Slade with us. Nice to see you, Pat, and Cindy and Eric Mosley, my dear, dear friends that I miss terribly. Uh, wonderfully great uh, to see you here as well. So uh, with all of that in mind, let's close out this study from the book of Colossians. We're going to just kind of share some things that we've kind of seen as we've gone through, and then we'll end with the reading of a few key passages and then uh, have a prayer and we'll be done. Um, and as we've said all along, you know, the first century people of Colossae were not that different from uh, 21st century Americans here in Tyler or Arlington or wherever you might be. Uh, we realize that uh, there's um, uh, a lot of similarities between people uh, that span the years. And that's certainly true uh, with uh, the message we hear in Colossians. Um, we had every reason to be as confident and optimistic as they did. But we also had every reason to be as concerned as anxious and anxious uh, as they were as well. We live in a different world today from the one many of us grew up in. We live in a different world today to some extent from the one that was here just seems like a few years ago, uh, probably more than that, perhaps 20, 30 years ago. It was much different than it is uh, right now. Yet this is this is our world. And we realize sometimes we get a little bit nostalgic thinking about the good old days, but we tend to only remember the good from the good old days. And remember, there were some bad going on then as well. And, and certainly not everyone had it as good in the good old days as we might have. So we recognize and acknowledge that and, and recognize that this is the world where God has placed us here in the 21st century. And it may be that our world now and in the years to come is a whole lot more like the world of the first century church of the Colossians than what that world we grew up in was like. I think that we're seeing more and more this um, environment uh, that uh, calls on Christians to be willing to make a sacrifice, calls on Christians to actually have to take a stand for their faith that may cost them something. Well, that was very similar to the uh, uh, first century. And it certainly was true there in the western part of modern-day Turkey, where the city of Colossae was, uh, near Ephesus, Hierapolis, um, Laodicea, those seven churches of Asia. Colossae was in that same general area. And it wasn't that much different in uh, first century Corinth or Athens, uh, Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi, all in modern-day Greece, uh, or the city of Rome itself, as we're seeing going through the book of Romans in our Sunday morning sermon series uh, here at West Irwin Church of Christ. And so we recognize that just as Peter wrote to uh, the people of modern day Turkey, probably uh, uh, the north central part rather than the far western part like Colossae was, um, first and second Peter were written in that same environment, Colossians written in that same environment. And more and more we see that's the environment that we're living in. Um, Jesus taught us that we were to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's no revelation to you. 
That's right out of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And what he told us was that we are to let our light shine uh, so that others may see our good deeds and praise our Heavenly Father. Says much the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, he calls on us to be his witnesses in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And he calls on us to go into all the world and make disciples in Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that God has commanded us through his word, through our Savior Jesus Christ, and those that he commissioned to give us this New Testament, and that he would be with us to the very end of the age. Well, that call is just as real today as it has ever been. And in many ways, we find that call to be more urgently needed because so many, even in 21st century America, it's hard to imagine, but so many in our own culture and our own communities do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and really don't know much about him and know even less about what the Bible teaches. That's where we come in. And that's what Paul tells the Colossians also. Yeah, that's where you come in. Uh, and the book of Colossians has highlighted some of the essential parts of that. And I think, again, our world is very similar to theirs. And that's why this mission and this message in the book of Colossians is so applicable and so relevant for us today. So a few things before we read a few passages from Colossians and, and close out our study. First of all, we are neither to be identical nor isolated from our world. Uh, those who have practiced and, and written and talked about uh, Christian ethics have brought this out. And uh, we find that we can be isolated from the world and cut ourselves off from the world because the world is bad and we're good and we don't want the world to uh, lead us down the wrong path. I think that's a legitimate concern as the father of two daughters and the papa, the grandfather of four children. I'm I feel that very strongly. But at the same time, that's not the answer. The answer to that uh, uh, question of how can we avoid uh, becoming worldly, the answer to that question is not stay isolated from the world. The answer is to turn to Jesus Christ uh, and not let the world, as Romans 12 says in the Phillips translation, not let the world squeeze us into its mold. But because we're not to be isolated from the world, we're also called to be a witness. So while we're not isolated and we're living in the midst of the world, we're not to be identical with the world. Uh, we're not to love the things of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. John, the apostle, writes in 1 John chapter 2, Jesus said, in the world will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, John 16, verse 33. So he calls on us not to be identical to the world and not to isolate ourselves from the world, but rather living in the midst of the world, we are to seek to influence the world, not to be influenced by it, but to influence it. And are we a cultural people? Yes, are we a cultural church? Well, with apologies to F. Lagarde Smith, who wrote the book, The Cultural Church, from a little bit different perspective, I think, I believe we are a cultural church. We, we can't be anything else. I mean, that's why we wear the clothes we wear. That's why we meet at the times we do. That's why our sermons are so long or maybe not as long as in other cultures. You thought bills were long. Uh, that's why we sit on pews. That's why we uh, meet at 10 a.m. or uh, 10.30 or 11, whatever time you meet at. Um, why is that? 
well, that's that's culture. Uh, that is strictly culture, uh, because Scripture doesn't give us any indication about any of those things. We are called upon to meet on the first day of the week to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by partaking of the Lord's Supper, and to meet together, assemble together, Hebrews 10 says, to encourage one another and build each other up so that we don't give in to that temptation to be identical to the world. That's a very hard thing, and we need each other uh, to do that. And so neither identical nor isolated uh, when it comes to the world, but rather influence the world. Um, be the light of the world. And then we talked this uh, uh, in this study about the difference, uh, about the importance and some of the differences between spirituality and knowledge. Uh, in today's world, spirituality is in, <laughs> but knowledge and religion are out. Um, it's like knowledge really doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what the, is truth or not. What matters is, do you feel spiritual? Do you get some kind of spiritual experience from it. Well, you can get a spiritual experience from a lot of things, but it may not necessarily be something that is in line with God's will. Uh, Jesus came full of grace and truth, John 1 tells us. Not, not one or the other, but both. And I think that's what gave him the most trouble, because if he had only been uh, uh, committed to either grace or truth, and then at least he would have had someone on his side there at the end. But because he came and would not budge on either, he would not budge on being merciful and loving and gracious towards one another as God has been all those things to us, but nor would he budge on the truth of God's word and being obedient to that word, so much as saying several times in the Gospel of John as he met with his disciples in that upper room shortly before his death, Several times he told them, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, that's a far cry from what we hear and see in our world. And it was a far cry from what they saw in the first century world of the Colossians. Scripture calls us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the message Peter ends his second letter with in 2 Peter 3, verse 18. We are called to speak the truth in love. Uh, we're not called to just speak the truth, no matter what your attitude. We're not called to speak in love, and if they don't want to hear the truth, then don't, don't speak it to them. Neither of those is faithful. We're called to speak the truth in love. We're called to be committed to both spirituality and knowledge, not one or the other, to both grace and truth. Well, let's talk for a moment about tolerance and conviction, because I think Colossians talked about that as well. Talked a lot about different things that people do, different things that people say. And it called us to be a people who love each other and who are understanding and who are respectful and who are considerate. And we can be all of those things without giving up our biblically held conviction uh, and biblically founded conviction. Uh, Jesus calls on us to do that in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, one of the hardest passages of Scripture, and yet there's no indication in any of those chapters that Jesus didn't expect for us to try to live that way. He did, and he calls us to do that. Um, he was willing to confront. He was willing to stand up to people, whether it was Nicodemus in John 3 or all the religious leaders pronouncing woe after woe in Matthew 23. Uh, he called on them to uh, do his will and to follow his teaching. 
so much so that he said in Matthew 7 that if anyone is doing all kinds of great things in his name and yet they're not doing the will of the Father, um, then they're not one of his. Um, Jesus was very tolerant, and I think we are to be tolerant as well. Tolerance is not a bad word. It's a bad word to many of us because the way our culture uses it. When our culture speaks about tolerance, our culture says you should not only tolerate, but you should accept and condone any view of anybody, no matter what. And that's just not biblical. Uh, Jesus was a very tolerant person. I mean, he's tolerant of us. We're sinners. We're far different than Jesus. And yet he's very tolerant of us and continues to work with us so that we can grow and mature in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior and his word. Uh, but he calls on us to, to be tolerant. We're, are, are we to tolerate sin? Well, uh, here's the thing. We don't force people to, to do right. Jesus didn't. We don't force people to be obedient. We don't force people to be faithful. Um, and so to that degree, we, we do tolerate their sinfulness. We don't tolerate our own. We work on ourselves and we shouldn't tolerate it in the church because that's a horrible witness in the community. But we do tolerate it to a degree because we realize that we we can't tell people only the perfect ones are around to be around me. If you're not a perfect person, then I can't be your friend. Well, that would be a hard one to measure. Uh, Wes McAdams, who writes a wonderful blog and articles that you can find at radicallychristian.com has uh, has just written some marvelous things uh, throughout uh, his time on that uh, website and has written some marvelous things, especially recently, uh, regarding our cultural situation and how we as the church can be faithful in this culture. And one of the things he says is that, yeah, we we have to be tolerant. We, we can be nothing less. And so, you know, he writes this, why should Christians be tolerant? Because Jesus tolerates us. Of course, he expects us to be transformed, but he also puts up with us being very, very different from himself. And I agree with that. And he mentions the scripture passage in Romans 14 that we'll be looking at in a couple of weeks, Romans 14 and, seven and six, uh, uh, 14 and 15, uh, that says, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means we got to tolerate some things that we don't particularly like. Sometimes what we're tolerating is something that is really just a matter of preference. It, we just don't like it. It's not our favorite, but we tolerate it because we love that brother or sister so much. And that's really the message of Romans 14 and 15. Why would you, because for the sake of your preference, destroy the work of God for which Christ died. Speaking of our brother or our sister, uh, it's a very strong teaching in Romans 14 and 15. I'm looking forward to sharing with it over a couple of weeks, not this week, but the next two weeks following. We are to live lives of respect and consideration. Jesus called us to do exactly that um, and to follow in his example. Of course, Colossians has spoken of authenticity and humility and love. Uh, much like in our day today, if uh, the Christians at Colossae were not being living authentic lives, they were not seeking to be obedient to the things that they were teaching and the things that they believed, 
then the people of their day would reject their message. And more and more we have seen over these last um, 10, 20, 30 years, our own neighbors and community and family members, if they hear a particular teaching from us that we believe uh, the Bible teaches, but then when they see our lives that are far, far removed from that, um, they don't want to hear anymore. They don't want to hear it. And so it's absolutely critical for us to live authentic lives. We can live authentically even though we don't live perfectly. Yes, we're sinful creatures just like everybody else. And that's okay, provided we're working on that. We're acknowledging it. We're not hiding it. We're not pretending to be perfect. But what we are doing is that we're seeking to live according to the word that Jesus has left with us. To most people today, it doesn't matter how right we are. If our attitude or our conduct, or especially both, um, are wrong. Uh, we can win the argument, but we'll lose the soul because they will not stay if they don't see us seeking to live that out in our own lives first. And then as we relate to them and interact with them, doing so with the spirit and love of Christ, giving them the respect and consideration uh, and love and mercy that Jesus has given to us. That's what he's calling us to do. Colossians reminds us to tell the story by telling my story, to be willing to do what Paul did, telling his story when he was tried, when he was on trial and had to explain himself to uh, his Jewish uh, family in Acts 22 after being arrested and then having to explain himself before uh, the pagan authorities as well in Acts 26. Um, Peter calls on us to do the same. We are to tell the story, his story, Christ's story, by telling my story. And we've been reminded of that as we've gone through this study in Colossians. Milton Jones, as I've referred to you several times in this study, Milton Jones has written a wonderful book on Colossians from a postmodern perspective. Christ, no more, no less. I highly recommend that book. It's been out for a while, but our world is no less uh, 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 needing to hear that message, and Christians in the church especially. Milton Jones writes this, the church in the postmodern world should be the one place where you can still tune in and find the good news about Jesus, about people, about life. What the world needs and what we are to be are ultimately the same thing, a spirit-filled community. The answer can be experienced in a unified community that is based on the truth of Christ. No more, no less. Well, today's news, it seems like it's all bad. I'm beginning to think that the whole purpose behind everyone who's on Twitter, everyone who's on Facebook, everyone who's on the news, their whole purpose is to make us either angry or frustrated or both. And I don't, I don't see the value in that uh, unless it calls us to change our lives and to seek to help our culture be better. Um, I think people in our communities need to hear something else and they need to see something else. Must be different when people come to church with us. Must not be all bad news. There must be the good news of the gospel that uh, overrides everything else we share. Uh, it must be different when people are around Christians today, that they are not around people that are just constantly angry and sullen and frustrated and uh, cynical and depressed, 
that that shouldn't be the way Christians are. We can do that without uh, uh, denying the reality of the difficulty of our day. And yet here's Paul in Philippians 4 writing from jail, just like he does here in Colossians, and saying to everyone, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And yet there he was unjustly accused uh, under house arrest, perhaps not knowing for sure whether he would be released or not after his appeal to Caesar, thinking he would be, and it turns out he was. But either way, he said, rejoice. While we must never deny the very real struggles our members in our community and our world face today, and they're real, we must not adopt the cynical negative attitude that is so prevalent with those who do not know Christ. Far be it from us as Christians to have that kind of a cynical attitude because our trust is in Jesus Christ. It's not in our health. It's not in our bank account. It's not in our government. Um, it's in Jesus Christ. And because our hearts and minds are set on things above, and yes, we'll read that passage in just a moment, we face all the ups and downs of this life with faith and assurance, with hope and with joy. So with that in mind, let's read a couple of passages from the book of Colossians. The first are in Colossians chapter 1. That uh, um, This study is called The Supremacy of Christ and the Church. And that gets started right immediately in Colossians 1. We'll start reading in verse 15, Colossians 1:15. The Son, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, the supremacy of Christ. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, the supremacy of Christ and the church. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. How did Christ accomplish all those things? Not by calling 12,000 legions of angels to take him down off the cross and to vaporize everyone that had put him there, but rather he did it by willingly giving his life on that cross and shedding his blood. Um, Colossians 1 continues in verses 28 and 29. My personal mission statement, as you see, I get it wrong every single time. Every time I have tried to point back to that blue shield that's got my personal mission statement on it, I have gotten it wrong. It started on the wrong side. But Colossians 1 verses 28 and 29 is my personal mission statement. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom uh, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. That's from the NIV version of a few years back, uh, back in 1984, I believe. Um, and I use the 2011 version, the newest NIV. So there's a few little differences there, but um, I'm going to keep using that one that I've used for a long, long time as my personal mission statement. We keep reading in Colossians, starting in chapter two now, beginning in verse six. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, 
rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We are to receive Christ as Lord. What does that mean? It means more than just praying a prayer and saying you're a sinner, although some teach that today. Many teach that today. That's not what this passage is saying. How do you know that, Bill? Because we're going to read a, a, the rest of the passage. Um, but that's how he starts out. And, and, and he says that having received Christ as Lord, we are to continue to seek to be built up in him and continuing to be faithful uh, to that message that we have been taught. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. What an important verse for us today, Colossians 2 verse 8, uh, that we are not to give in to the philosophies around us that sound good, uh, they sound good, but they don't offer anything that can provide us with a way to deal with our sinfulness and a way to live for eternity. Only Jesus can do that. And why can he do that? How can he do that? Let's keep reading in Colossians 2 verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority, again the supremacy of Christ and the gospel. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ or in Christ. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. What does it mean to receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Well, it means to be buried with him in baptism. This passage, very similar to Romans 6, calling on us to die to sin, be buried with Christ through baptism into death, and raised to live a new life. He's going to tell us again in just a moment that that new life means living for the things that are eternal and spiritual, the things above, not the things of this world. But for now, he says, this is what it means to receive Christ as Lord. And that baptism would be meaningless were it not for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this passage continues on in verse 13 of Colossians 2. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it, to the cross and having disarmed powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross again how did jesus do that he did that by giving his life sacrificing his life on the cross the supremacy of christ and the gospel that message of the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ now being given to the world witnessed with words and without words by his people, his body, the church. Uh, what an incredible passage in Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15. And then finally, we'll look at Colossians chapter 3, first in verses 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
Set your life, set your mind, set your heart on things above, not on things below, on things of heaven, heavenly things, not on earthly, worldly things, on things that are spiritual, not things that are physical and carnal, on things that are eternal. Set your mind and your hearts on those things. People today need to see in us the same thing Paul called on the Colossian Christians to be known for, the authentic, genuine living out of our convictions with Christ the center and focus of our lives. So as we conclude this series today, I want to leave you with this great theme verse, Colossians 3, verse 17. I believe this is the theme of the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 17. And I believe it's a great summary statement. It's a great personal mission statement if you want to use it for that. But it's a great summary statement of what the Christian life is to be all about. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great book. Thank you for this great study. Thank you for these wonderful people that have listened in with me. And we pray, Father, that we would all be better at doing these things, that we would all be better at seeking to live that new life that comes from being raised out of the watery grave of Christian baptism. Help us, Father, all to be committed more than ever to set our minds and our hearts on things above, things that are spiritual, things that are eternal, and not the things of this world. And help us, Father, especially, Father, that in everything that we say and in everything that we do, that it would all be done in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and that we would do that, Father, with a spirit and a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude to you in everything we say and in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for being a part of this study. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday afternoons and in the summer starting in June the 1st um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays as well. God bless you.